0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about subjects that we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today is the fourth in our series about living with anxiety. As you know, if you've heard any of the previous shows, over 40 million Americans suffer with a diagnosable anxiety disorder. So it's incredibly common, but it's often something that we hide or we don't tell other people about because we're afraid that it makes us look weak. So today we're going to be looking at this from the angle of being a parent of a child who suffers from anxiety, social anxiety in particular. I'll be speaking with Valerie, who is a psychotherapist in the Boston area. Valerie and her husband have two daughters that they adopted from China who are now 22 and 17 years old. We're going to be talking about Valerie's older daughter, Cassandra, who has agreed for us to do this interview. Welcome to Safe Space, Valerie.
1: Thank you for having me, Anne.
0: So I understand that you were able to adopt Cassandra when she was about four and a half months old. Is that right? That's right. So you come back to the States with this baby that you'd waited for for a long time, I'm imagining. Do you feel like she was anxious from the beginning, or is it something that developed later?
1: Anxious wouldn't have been a word that I would have used to describe her at that time. Um, I spent a lot of time alone with her, so it was hard to see any anxiety. She was very bonded with me immediately. And uh, it was a, it was a, we were in love, you know. It was a, a love affair, the two of us. Where I started to see something shifting was when she would be in the presence of other children and be expected to perform in some way. She would just completely shut down again, and I could feel this feeling like, come on, Cassandra, can't you be like the other kids? And that energy would get picked up by her, I'm sure. And I. It felt like there was something wrong with her, and I today now today when I say that word, I really hate using that word, because it's been very shaming.
0: Right, but at the time you noticed a di- a difference. She seemed different than the other kids.
1: Yes, I also knew she was really smart. She started talking really young, very early. Her language, she was incredibly articulate. So I, I was confused. I was like, huh. But you know, if somehow, if the smart part of her could take over, then she would be able to be like the other kids. I mean, it was, was wasn't logical at all. But
0: right. But this is such a, c- a common theme in this series. But with anxiety in general, is the the kind of disconnect between the the mind, the intellectual understanding, and the anxiety that they have really seemingly no relationship to each other. That you can't yes. kind of talk yourself down rationally.
1: Exactly. Which is so exactly.
0: humbling. So humbling. Yeah. Yeah, so, and plus she seemed, I mean, with the development of language, I'm imagining with a child, one thinks of that as a social ability. Mm-hmm. And so I can imagine that you were thinking, what, you're so verbal, why can't you connect with other kids more easily?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I would try to organize, play. I'll never forget uh, uh, her, one of her birthday parties. I think she was like five or six, something like that. And so the kids come over and at that age, the mothers are still sticking around. She freaked out after about five minutes. She's like, I want them to all go home now, mom. And, but not loud, just to me in the kitchen. She pulled me in the kitchen. She's crying and crying. And I had a part that was angry at her. Like, why can't you, there's only five kids. They're all your friends. And she actually went up to her room and shut the door and the party went on. She didn't even come down for her birthday cake. And she stayed up in her room for probably another hour. And then the parents realized she wasn't coming down and they left. I never had another birthday party for her again after that. I realized it was not, she was miserable.
0: Right, so I can imagine so many different feelings. I mean, compassion for your daughter, but perhaps embarrassment and anger or frustration overlaying that. I mean, what,
1: yeah, and, and I couldn't understand, and these were her friends. I, I didn't understand what was so scary about having them there. Right, I mean, at this point, what were your
0: working hypotheses? I mean, what, what were you imagining might be the case?
1: I thought she was just very shy and that we could overcome the shyness with exposure. You know, let's just keep trying. Let's keep doing this. But it wasn't working. Right. And so uh, also, as you can imagine, being a psychotherapist, there was uh, there was more shame there because it was like, I'm supposed to know how to deal with this. Right. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Right. Right. It's like, oh, my right? gosh,
0: I'm failing at this, even with my yeah. own child. Yeah. And
1: if, you know... Here I am trying to help other people, and I I, I can't parent my own daughter.
0: Right. So it brings up, like, all this fraud feelings. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And did it make you want to hide it? Like, did it make you more hesitant? For
1: years. For years I wanted to hide it. And and what would happen is we would go out less and less socially because she's very good at, at, at covering up when she's feeling anxious. In fact, she said to me the other day to have anybody know that I'm feeling out of control in my body is absolutely terrifying so she's really really good at covering it up but i as her mother started to learn i could tell the signs i could see when her body would tighten i I knew uh, you know and i i didn't know what was wrong but i knew something was wrong to this day she's 22 she still lives at home with us and there are times when i will say to myself okay valerie what are you doing wrong you're doing something wrong. You know, the cognitive behavioral approach is exposure, exposure, exposure. you got to kick her out. you got to push her into the world. And I have learned by by lots of bad experiences with her where i made a lot of mistakes that that's not the right thing to do.
0: It's such an interesting dilemma because one of the themes that's been emerging in this series is when... And I've, until now, I've only been talking to the person who suffers directly with the anxiety. And Mm -hmm. what the people have been telling me is that the temptation to avoid the fearful experience is so enormous, but that actually, you know, it tends to make it worse. And that what they've each had to do in their own therapy is to kind of go and face the dragon, as it were, go go do the thing that's the hardest to do, and that they then get some sense of mastery. But as a parent, it's it's very different if you f- if you choose that and force your kid to do it it's totally different than if your child is choosing to face her own dragon because mm-hmm. i'm imagining mm-hmm. if you're forcing her to go face some feared experience, it actually only makes her feel helpless and almost sort of abandoned by the person she's tr- you know would trust to help her, so it doesn't have the same exactly. redemptive yeah is that is, tell me like when you say there's an example like of a time that you did try to expose her to something and that backfired? What what would be an example of that?
1: That's a good question. Okay, so two, three years ago, both my husband and I wanted her to have more experiences in the outside world. I said, you know, you really need to start working. You're 19, and it's you need to have some experience. I will help you in whatever way I can. And she she would just shut down and so finally i said look there's a movie theater down the street they're taking high school students you're a perfect person to work there you could take you can sell tickets and more shut down finally she said okay all right and we've downloaded the application we drove literally an eighth of a mile into the center and i mean i could start crying right now just thinking about she's like she's sitting next to me in the car And she's filled out the application perfectly she's an unbelievable perfectionist her handwriting looks like a typewriter and she can't get out of the car and i'm saying honey i'll bring it in for you and she can't even talk to me she can't even look at me and in moments like that and i feel like this is all wrong this is so wrong i can't do this to her so I said, we're not doing this. You know, I turned around. Of course, my angry part shows up because I'm feeling so... I mean, I was I was crying, actually, in the car with her. But then I start feeling angry because I need to pull myself together and put another one foot in front of the other. And I come home and I say to Louie, this is impossible. She's never going to be able to be in life and in the world. And Then we went to her therapist, and her therapist helped us. And little by little, she's now working for... Um, a lawyer. She's a paralegal, who, a friend of mine, and my my friend says she's the best paralegal she's ever had. She's never had anyone so attentive to detail, and she just wishes that Cassandra wanted to be a lawyer.
0: So yeah. you, so in that moment from the from the movie theater, you pull back. But then, what shifted that she was able to get the job with your friend?
1: Ah, uh, good question. What happened was she was felt safe enough to say to me with the help of her therapist mom you have no idea how much i want to get a job you have no idea how much i want to be able to be out in the world but i need your help and forcing me to fill out an application to go to do a job where i have to talk to people and i have to look them in the eye and lots of people come in who i don't know i can't do that so we brainstormed together about well, what could you do She could be in an office, one-on-one with another person, doing research on the computer. So how could I help her? And then, fortuitously, my friend said, is one of your daughters interested in working with me? And I didn't think of Cassandra. I thought of my younger daughter. I said, oh, yeah, sure, my younger daughter. Cassandra said, well, what about me? So that's how it started.
0: And how long has she been working for her? Two years. That's so
1: great. And yeah. does
0: does being able to do that, do you feel like that's fed her confidence?
1: Absolutely. She um she well first of all she loves making money and she gets paid really well, so that helps.
0: That always it's helps.
1: And she's got a cottage industry. The other thing I wanted to tell you is she works on the computer. She, uh, she does a lot of gaming on the computer. Almost all of her social life is through gaming. And she's got a cottage industry on the Internet where she sells nail polish, and she makes quite a bit of money doing that. So um, she's, she's quite industrious.
0: She's resourceful. Well, I want to ask you more about the computer because yeah. so the whole social world of the computer, does that trigger her anxiety as well, or is that different?
1: Yes, in fact, that's been um that's been a huge source of difficulty for us with her and I have really come around to appreciating what the computer does for her, but boy, I had parts that were so freaked out about it. So of course, when I saw that she was pulling further and further away from her you know, real-time friends, I got really anxious and um she would go to school and feel Really, like a freak, and then she 'd come home and she 'd go online, and all of her friends on that would play the game with her would say would welcome her and say hi and and there was a huge community of friends, not so much anymore because she 's more connected to her boyfriend, but that it will be eventually where she finds more friends again, I think is online so that but was like it, a safe
0: haven for her
1: exactly, and we were threatening constantly, you know, when she wouldn't come down to dinner or She wouldn't come out of her room or wouldn't go for a walk or a bicycle ride. You know, we're big, we're avid outdoor people. She hates being outdoors. She's just terrified of being around people. So she would, you know, we'd threatened, my husband would threaten to disconnect the Internet, and it was, we had no idea what we were doing. She had a whole world in there that we were threatening to take away from her. So my husband and I would get really polarized about it, and we were, you know, he'd say, "I'm. I, we've made the biggest mistake. We should never have bought her that laptop." Blah, blah blah, and he would literally go down in the basement, disconnect the internet, and then he'd say, "Okay, five hours, you're not going to be without it." And I'd be saying, "Don't do that. She's going to freak out." And, uh, anyway, long story short, he, he finally said, "Okay, that's it. Disconnecting the whole house from the internet." And she, that she was in eighth grade, and she was for a day, she was crying off and on, inconsolable, and uh, she finally said, "You've taken my best friend away from me." And I thought she was talking about the computer, which made me even more scared. Yes. And it finally came out that she had a best friend who lived in Maryland, another Chinese girl who played this game with her, and they had been talking through the game for a year. And my heart just like, first, there were two things that happened. One, I thought, oh my God, this is what if this is some kind of child predator? That was the first fear that I had. And then... Then the other place that I swung to was, God, what a horrible mother. She has a best friend, and I just cut her off completely. So it took a while, a lot of fights between my husband and myself to talk this through. And finally, Cassandra gave me her friend's name and her parents' phone number. She'd never talked to her. It was all through the computer. And I called this young woman's mother, and her mother didn't know either, and we talked on the phone. She was Chinese. And she invited us to come down and visit, which was again huge for me to do. But I said, I gotta do this. I gotta meet these people. I want to know that they're real. And we did. We went down to an anime festival. It was really fun. They were they were wonderful family. She was a wonderful girl, and it was. Cassandra felt very held by that.
0: Oh, wonderful. It seems like such a story, not only of, you know a different way of interacting socially because of anxiety but also just a huge generational story that yes you know exactly you're so yes. thinking about predators and addiction and reading this as such a dangerous experience when for her it sounds like it was really a godsend
1: yes yeah mm-hmm. and she, she the, the other thing i wanted to say about her is she's got this between figuring out what the diagnosis was for her this perfectionism was a piece that started to show up in middle school And so, you know, worrying about if she didn't do it perfectly, that she was going to be judged. So she was worried about her friend not liking her when she saw her. You know, her nose was too big or or whatever, you know, you name it. It wasn't wasn't going to be quite right.
0: Well, it makes sense that perfectionism and social anxiety kind of dovetail because social anxiety is this sort of excruciating self-consciousness and a fear of being negatively judged by others. Exactly. So so yeah. those two are just oh, so yeah. mutually reinforcing. So let me ask you about that diagnosis, Valerie, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, at what point did you actually get a name for it? And at that, that, did you tell her, were you afraid it would pathologize her? What, what did you feel about the diagnosis?
1: Never, um, never afraid it would pathologize her. She's always wanted to know what was wrong with her. She's been actually in some ways more curious than than we were, and she always wanted to be a part of the process. So uh, when we, she was, we had her tested for a learning disability because she started, she was always, we know one of the students that was at the top of her class, but in high school, she started really struggling and eventually uh, socially could not handle high school, so we homeschooled her. But before that happened, she started not showing up to class, not doing her work. And we got her tested, and th- at that point, social anxiety and social phobia came up, and she was actually greatly relieved. And she, that's why she has no problem with me talking about it. She said, I finally know what's wrong with me, Mom, and I know how to work with myself to feel better. All
0: right. Isn't that wonderful? So it was like validating, like this is yeah. real, yeah. and it isn't that, yeah. I have, that I'm not smart. It's that I have this real illness. Yeah. Yes, and when she yep. so she paired the the name with knowing what to do about it. What what did she know to do about it?
1: Well, for example, she got she really advocates for herself at school. She goes to the disability office. She has accommodations to type on the computer to do her tests, and she has extra time because she's such a perfectionist that she needs more time. And she she also gets overloaded and overstimulated being in a classroom with other students when she's being tested. So she goes to the disability office, and they give her a room to to, to do the testing by herself. No shame about it. She advocates for herself. I don't have to do any of this for her. She makes all the arrangements for herself. Isn't
0: that wonderful? So a one-on-one conversation sounds like it's okay. It's more like in yep. a group.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and that, I, and I want to make sure I get it in the conversation, is my anxiety in reaction to her anxiety. I think that's really important
0: hey, as tell a parent.
1: Me. Well, I can feel my... You know, in my chest, I start to feel like I'm not breathing down in my belly, and I start to get a little cryptic with her. She gets short with me, and and we're not connecting. It, it's, and I'm off in some la-la land in my anxiety, and, and it feels awful. And what do you,
0: how do you understand? Is there a specific sense of it, like, oh, I'm bad for hurting her? Or, like, well,
1: how does it take shape? I get very wooden, like, uh, there's no affection in my voice. I, I, in, in, and I start to try to control the conversation and her. And I'm trying to control my own anxiety. Because I think what's going that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure what's going on. My heart rate starts to go up. And I have to breathe deeply and try to calm my, and center myself before I respond to her. Because if I respond to her out of my own anxiety... They're off, our anxiety is off having a party together. Does that make any sense?
0: Yes, it does. Um, but I can imagine, I mean, you've had to witness her be so painfully anxious on so many different mm-hmm. occasions mm-hmm. that it would make sense to me that you'd be afraid, like, oh, my God, here we go again. I mean, almost like a sort of slightly PTSD-type thing in you because you've had to witness her torture.
1: That totally. You, that for I a mean, parent, it, it, you can't yep. hardly
0: bear to see your child suffer.
1: Yes, and then uh, thank you for saying that because it does feel like a, a, a form of PTSD. And and then I actually know that I start to try to, well, I mean, I could give you reams of examples, but we don't go to people's houses for dinner with our kids. We don't go to parties with our kids. We won't ask people over for dinner and ask her to come downstairs, and that's gone on for a long time.
0: Right. So a couple other questions I want to ask you before we have to stop. One is... Um, So you're a psychotherapist, you're an extremely resourceful person, you're clearly a very invested mother. What are some of the things that you tried to do to help Cassandra that ultimately Mm. really did not help her?
1: Well, lots of things. The first one was that she had sensory integration therapy, and that, that really helped her focus a bit more and, you know... Moving the right and left sides of her body really helped her feel a bit less anxious. That was when she was about seven or eight. And then she. And so let me just her... pause. So
0: that's a therapy that's really involved in, in working through the body to help.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. And, okay. and she, was, she had a lot. Well, she has a lot of issues around food and um, certain textures that bother her, being touched bothers her. And they, so they diagnosed her with a sensory issue. So that did help. That was about three or four months long. That helped some, It also helped us understand what to do and what not to do. And then she was diagnosed with depression. She took, uh, we tried antidepressants. She doesn't like taking medication at all. She's very clear about that. But she did try, I have to give her that. And when she was diagnosed with ADD, she also was given some stimulants, which she didn't like taking. Um, and subsequently, when she was... No, let, me just,
0: let me just pause yeah. for a second because I think clinically it's often confusing to distinguish ADD, attention deficit disorder, from anxiety because anxiety is such a preoccupation. And people are yes. so distracted by their fear and their dread yeah. and their terror that it's very hard to be present and focus. And often kids are misdiagnosed with ADD when in fact it's anxiety. And, of course, Ritalin makes anxiety worse. Right. So it sounds like that's what happened to you guys.
1: Exactly. The second time, it was more thorough the testing, and they said they didn't think she had ADD. They thought it was an anxiety disorder, which, on the one hand, was a relief. But then I thought, well, now there's no medication <laughs> because she she really didn't doesn't want to take anxiety medication. She that makes her feel more out of control to take medication. So.
0: Yes, because you're spacey.
1: Sense. Yes, it does because you feel yeah. spacey and a little out of it, and that's scary. Well, it's more. No, it's not that. It's more. She wants to know what's happening in her body, and she wants to be organic. She doesn't want chemicals in her body. I can
0: appreciate that. Yeah, my experience clinically is that what I'm prescribing for someone, the people that it's hardest to prescribe for are the people with severe anxiety because they're so afraid of the pill, exactly. and the, the trust it takes to actually ingest something that's going to affect your mind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so sensory integration therapy helped a little. Misdiagnosis didn't help. Medication was not very helpful. What else?
1: Um, <clears throat> let's see, what else? We went through probably five or six therapists. And then she did do a cognitive behavioral therapy.
0: And uh, why don't you explain for, what that is?
1: So that's where she was slowly exposed to situations that Were scary to her that she couldn't tolerate, and it worked a little bit. So the idea is that the more she avoids something she's scared of, the more that part of her then thinks, well, if I avoid it, then I'm okay. So there's more and more in the world that she she avoids. So in the cognitive behavioral therapy that she had for two years with a specialist who was training and working with anxiety, she actually did help her learn how to take the bus. To school which was great but getting any better in terms of social stuff with people the cognitive behavioral therapy only made it worse because her therapist would say well now I want you to try to be in the company of other people maybe talk to someone at school and make friends with them well that only made her feel terrible because she can't do that
0: right so it sounds like it feels like a prescription for torture
1: yeah yeah exactly Exactly.
0: Without, yeah. it sounds like any redemptive outcome in your case. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or that the shame that comes out of feeling anxious—that somehow an anxious person can fix it easily. Um, just uh, get over it. You know, it's—it's it, it's not that scary. It, uh, that really upsets me. You know, if, if Cassandra could have gotten over it, believe me, she would have been the first person to do it.
0: It feels like it's, in some ways, a, a stance that's based in so much ignorance about how powerful anxiety really is.
1: Right, right. And, and you know what, Anne? You know, part of me feels really terrible that I didn't understand that for so many years. There was a part of me that wanted her to just get over it.
0: Well, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah. How could you not have part of you wanted that, right? Yeah, yeah. And blamed myself, you know, that, that I was causing this.
0: yeah. There's no way to yeah. be a mother without blaming yourself or something. Yeah. <laughs> so in the first episode of this series on anxiety, our guest John Williams-Keedy talked about how cognitive behavioral therapy had helped him tolerate just standing inside a mall, mm-hmm. sort of like actually just tolerate being somewhere like the school bus for Cassandra. Right. But it's fascinating to hear that for Cassandra, actually using CBT to relate to someone was very different. It didn't help so much with that. That's right. That's right. So interesting. And in so, fact, it sounds like in fact it actually had the downside of making her feel very ashamed for her inability to do it, like she was failing therapy.
1: Yes, and then she also felt that she was failing her therapist, and she really wanted to please her. So that was an, another piece of it. Oh, you know, I really should be able to do this. What's wrong with me? And yes. then she would shame herself that makes any sense
0: yes well i think this two of the biggest feelings that trigger shame are weakness and and failure and yes. this would just like bring up both of those yes. yeah so in closing valerie oh go ahead
1: well i was going to say what can i tell you what has worked
0: yeah <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what i wanted to
1: ask you what, oh, good. Is okay. okay okay so um what has worked is finally finding a therapist who I don't know, God bless her, I have no idea how she's non-judgmental about any of this stuff but the thing that really, really made a difference was that she could talk to her about the computer, that was the door in and, and her therapist said, you know, I don't understand we're, you know, we're in the dark ages our generation, she's a little bit, she's in her 60s her therapist and she said, tell me tell me what you do on the computer tell me what, she got excited and she started reading all this stuff about Learning, You know, her therapist, in between times, would read stuff and come back and tell Cassandra, wow, I learned this. And And Cassandra started to feel like, okay, this woman doesn't think I'm crazy. She doesn't think there's something wrong with me. She's interested in me. She cares. And Cassandra's gotten to the point now where if her her therapist says something to her that doesn't quite fit or that she feels might be judgmental, with my help, Cassandra can go to her and say, you know, ouch, that kind of hurt. And that's huge for her.
0: No kidding. That's hard for people without social anxiety to tell people that they've been hurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They have a relationship. She loves her. Her therapist loves her. You know, there's just such a connection between the two of them.
0: So it sounds like having a relationship with someone who is is non-judgmental and genuinely interested made a huge difference.
1: To be honest with you, Ann, I was losing hope. I was really afraid we were never going to find someone
0: so encouraging to know that that's possible and that that's out there Mm. valerie i want to thank you so much for being my guest on safe space radio it's been lovely to talk with you and i so appreciate your willingness to to share this and cassandra's courage and in inviting you to do this on her behalf
1: well thank you it's been really enlightening for me you've asked me some really interesting questions and i really appreciate being asked
0: So Valerie, I always like to close the show with giving some concrete resources that have made a difference. Are there things that you would steer people toward that have really helped you?
1: I would recommend the the kind of therapy that Cassandra is doing now is called Internal Family Systems, and the website is selfleadership.org, and there's a resource there where you can find therapists.
0: Okay, so that's selfleadership.org. Okay, great. That's right. Is there anything else that's really been helpful?
1: The three books that I would recommend are My Age of Anxiety by Scott Stossel, The Introvert Advantage by Marty Laney, and Quiet by Susan Cain.
0: Okay, so that's My Age of Anxiety, The Introvert Advantage, and Quiet. Valerie, thank you again so much for being my guest. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Anne.
0: If you did not get a chance to hear this whole interview, or if you'd like to send the link to a friend, please go to our website, which is safespaceradio.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe, you can sign up to get a weekly email with a link to that week's show. You can also download any of the episodes to your smartphone, so you can listen to them in the car for your morning commute. And you can like us through Facebook or download us through iTunes. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, and to Jim Russell for being our consultant. Coming up next is Speak Freely.